Welcome to the Full Frame Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Walter. Here in the U.S., it seems like every day we're reading headlines about gun violence. It's a problem that's even more troubling in non-white communities. Among black American adults, one in three said that they personally witnessed a shooting. But what happens to people who live through gun violence? How do they move forward? I speak to Ryan Nickens, the founder of the Trayron Center. She herself lost her sister, brother, and an uncle to deadly shootings. Her nonprofit uses the arts to help those healing from gun violence. I spoke to Ryan in our studio in Washington, D.C. This episode is called Healing Gun Violence Trauma. Full frame. On 9-11, I was at the Pentagon, and one of the memories I have, of course, is watching the jet go into the, the Pentagon, but, mm-hmm. but the other is the soundtrack of that day, which was yeah. just sirens. Just you heard mm-hmm. sirens and sirens and sirens. Um, as all these ambulances came and fire trucks and stuff. But when I look back on that day, that's the soundtrack. It's just sirens. And I imagine you must mm-hmm. have a soundtrack from your youth, too. Mm-hmm. What would it be? Um, laughter, laughing through tears. Trying to find the good and all the bad. Trying to figure out um, what comes next. Uh, so it's, it's this sorrowful cry, but yet it has some joy. I, I, I've been as, um, I have a really good therapist, uh, thank God. Um, and we have been working through, as a woman of faith, we've been working through yesteryear. Um, some things I've overcome and I've you know, worked through and other things I have not. And there are a number of traumas that happen that I put in the back of my mind to keep going. Um, obviously, I couldn't ignore the murders of my siblings or the shooting of my mother, but there were the you know, family members, there were the neighbors and the friends. There were the times where, you know, I had to duck behind a car because of a drive-by or even a walk-by, somebody literally walking and trying to shoot someone else. Um, And so I put all those things in the back of my mind. Like I said earlier, I'm 44 and I've had over 35 traumas directly related to guns. And so that, so the soundtrack is, is, I haven't completely, I don't completely have one. I'm still searching for one, but at times it is this, this thing of lamenting and this thing of joy and, and at times coexisting at the same time, the tears, but yet the smile. Yeah, but the, the key thing I think you said there was laughter and tears. Um, if you don't say laughter, mm-hmm. if that's not part of the equation, 
I'm probably not talking to you today, right? I mean, isn't that like one of the things that people struggle with is, is, is there a reason to live? I mean, yep. what's, where's the hope? Uh, and I imagine at some point in your life, given this kind of environment, you wrestled with that question. I not only wrestled with it, um, 22 days after my sister was killed, I tried to commit suicide as a 15 year old, um, first time on Christmas day. Um, I thought what had happened to my family, because our next door neighbor essentially shot and killed my sister who was pregnant, shot my mother, my brother, and another sister. Um, and so I thought life was over. I hear is my sister Tracy, who was my protector, my mom who has now to deal with a new reality um, and who could have lost her life. And in those days leading up to the first suicide attempt, um, I lived as if I lost everything that night, that on December the 3rd, 1993, everything was taken away. And so on Christmas day, I laid, I took some pills, drunk a bottle of NyQuil, took two bottles full of pills that I found in, in, in our um, cabinet in a, in the bathroom and drunk some NyQuil and literally prepared myself for my death. Wrote the suicide note, um, just said that this was too much for me. Um, it was just literally too much. And that I thought at that point, nothing good ever was gonna happen again. That for me, what happened on that night was simply too much for me to go, to move from, um, and not one, my parents didn't know that, you know, I did it cause I woke up. Um, I spent mornings and early afternoons with my mom and evenings with my dad on holidays. And so when my sister woke me up cause my dad was there to pick us up, um, for dinner at my grandmother's, I was disgusted that I was still alive. Like God. Um, if nothing comes after this, why are you keeping me here? If this is my lot in life, let me end it. Um, and I lived in this darkness for a while until my parents sent me to therapy. I lived in this dark, in that dark reality of um, my hope being so buried under the traumas of what I had experienced. I think uh, in this country, um, the unfortunate reality is, is there are young people uh, in, in not just this city, but many who are living the, the existence that you described, you know, a childhood that's just extraordinarily painful. Um, and yet what captures the attention in the news media is, oh, there's a mass shooting at a school or there's a mass shooting at a mall. Your mass shooting may not happen today. It may, it may be over a week, or it may be over two weeks, or it may be, but you witnessed mass shootings, in a sense, when you put it all together. Um, can you describe what it's like to, to live in your world where it doesn't seem like there's as much focus on it as there is on this other one, which gets more headlines? Yeah, I, I mean, we cannot talk about you know, gun violence without talking about systemic racism. 
in, in this issue. And I know people always like to say, why do you always play the race card? Um, because it's the hand we've been dealt and that's what, what is in it. When we look at the last four decades, those being killed by guns were black and brown people in underserved communities. Um, and so it didn't mean anything, but then Sandy Hook happened. And you see the faces of these beautiful little white babies who went to school, simply was enjoying kindergarten and all of these in elementary school. And suddenly that could have been your daughter. Suddenly for some people it awakens because they now see um, themselves in the victim. They now see um, how their child's life could have been robbed. That this isn't just isolated to ghettos and to hoods and to big cities. Um, this is a problem. This is a huge problem. And I, I think when we're partners with Everytown, my organization partners with Everytown and they, they've been funders and good partners over the last four, four or five years. Um, and Shannon Watts and I uh, had a conversation, a frank and honest conversation about this very issue that when white women begin to organize and to cry out, um, our politicians, some of our politicians paid attention and opened their doors. But because it is seen as a moral failure of black and Hispanic families that somehow they let their children go into drug, the drug trade or somehow this was their lot in life. They were meant to die these, these deaths, these horrific deaths, um, and that it is the community's failure and the parents' failure um, to do something about it, but not having the conversation about inequality in inner city schools not having the conversations about what it looks like for paid family leave as it relates to mothers who, mothers and fathers who are working all these odd jobs and odd hours, and then you have their kids that are out there. And, and then that there are no after-school programs. There are very few after-school programs. There are very few things that engage children's minds, youth in their minds, engage them in any activity. And so what are they gonna do? What exactly will they do? I think when we have the conversation around um, mass shooting versus communal violence um, that we have been having in the gun violence prevention space, it is, if you're gonna talk mass shootings, you have to talk communal gun violence. You have to talk about the systemic issues around it and create that created. And I think national gun violence organizations such as Everytown and Brady and some others are now getting it. In the last four, four or five years, they are now getting it and amplifying the voices of those um, who are doing the grassroots in communities like the one I grew up in. Um, and so we are making some headway, but there was a mass shooting in D.C. Um, last week, um, blocks from my house, four people shot, one killed, um, but that didn't make national news. Um, 
like the the one in Alabama. Um, it it comes sometimes down to race and how we view poor people. The idea for Trey Ron started with a meeting of 15 mothers of murder victims to discuss community safety. That turned into quarterly family meetings that showed a real need for a safe space for people to deal with their personal traumas. And the difference you're making, I mean, you see it every day, don't you? I mean, you know that it's, it's channeling young people in a different direction. Yeah. They might not have gone. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see it, but I also struggle we're, we're a small nonprofit, and we can, with the small staff, you can help but so many. You don't want to overcrowd a space and then you miss something with a child or with a family. Um, but as I see the number of young people um, engaging in criminal activity in our city, I see the number of young people being murdered in our city, and I see the continue, the continuum of people being murdered, there is lamenting there. There is this um, wanting to do more, feeling like I need to do more, um, staying up late at night, thinking through how do we grow and how do we reach more children? How do we reach more families to, to, to just engage them in healing, to engage them and other things outside of their community. Um, I am, I live in my own head and um, everybody around me tells me not to do that. Sometimes to, you know, sit back and celebrate some of the achievements that we've had, but it is hard for me to celebrate when, you know, when a nine-year-old, yesterday a nine-year-old in our city was shot. It's hard to celebrate. Um, accomplishments, but we, we have them and we have these amazing kids that we get to work with um, who came in rough. I mean, when we first started, we had to break up fights literally every day. And, and it was like, okay, what the heck did I just get myself into? But by teaching, by being consistent in their lives, by loving them, by showing them a different way from what they see sometimes in their homes and in their communities, we have seen our kids thrive. We've seen them pick up skills. Um, I, early on, I used to tell a story early in, our, in the organization's um, history. Um, I used to tell the story of one of our young ladies who was rough. She wanted, and if you looked at her wrong, she wanted to fight. Um, and we started teaching her breathing techniques um, and teaching her how to calm herself and self-soothe and, and detach from situations that she sees going down the wrong path that she sees. And so she comes in to the camp and says, announces, Miss Ryan, I did not beat her down and I could have. And I'm like, okay, what? The what? I said, you could have beat her down. Who is, who is the her you could have beat down? She's like, let me tell you what happened. So the girl was getting on my nerves and, and she's just going on. And I'm like, okay. She said, but I took a couple of deep breaths and I said, you know what? You're not even worth my time. And I walked away. 
I mean, I don't know if I'm going to do that tomorrow, but I walked away today and I thought, well, that's a victory. She walked away from a bad situation um, and she used the techniques we taught her. Another instance was a mom who came in um, and she was like, who is Miss Ryan? And I'm like, well, that's me. I'm Miss Ryan. And she's like, what are you teaching my child? And I was like, uh, can you tell me what happened? Well, I was yelling at him and trying to tell him, get him to do something. And he said to me, mom, if you just sit down, we can have a conversation. You don't have to yell. If you sit down, we can talk, we can work through this. And she said, well, where did you learn that at? Oh, Ms. Ryan said it. Ms. Ryan said parents don't need to yell at kids. You know, we people too, so you just can have a conversation. But she came not, she came to enroll her other two kids in a program because she saw that value there. And it was, it was funny and it was like, okay, Lord, what did I do now? What did I say? But she came to enroll her other two kids and she learned, she as a mother also learned to see her kids as humans who are going through, little human beings who are going through different things in life. Um, and, you know, having a conversation with them is cool because yelling, yelling gets you so far. But if you have a calm, cool, collected conversation with them, then you, you get further and, and you model it for them. And so when they're engaging with people who want to yell, like, look, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk. Well, uh, you said it. Uh, having a conversation is cool, especially <laughs> if it's with you. Uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. It's been a great time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was my conversation with activist and Trayron Center founder, Ryan Nickens. This is all for this Full Frame podcast. Our thanks to my colleagues, Jolie Lee and Yanni Suryanen here in our CGTN studios. And if you want to watch the full-length Full Frame show, please go to CGTN Now on Apple TV. I'm your host, Mike Walter. Thanks so much for listening. Listening.